You are listening to the very first ever Bang Gong podcast rerun. I am Nick Jimenez. Can you believe it? We've been at this long enough to have reruns. We're like the I Love Lucy or MASH or Different Strokes or Star Trek, the next generation of Miami-based chef-driven podcasts. What you're about to hear is one of the very first interviews that we ever published. Uh, and if I remember correctly, the first one that we recorded. So Mike Beltran's guest was Chef Pablo Zitzman, who um, also joined us close to the start of the COVID pandemic to talk about how he had adapted his kitchen life to all of these strange times. Uh, this interview, however, was recorded well before the world turned upside down. Back then, Pablo had a vision for a new concept called Alcalde, which is uh, Spanish for mayor, like the mayor of a city, which he is now in a position to bring to life, at least in a partial capacity. So this is an opportunity, whether you're hearing it for the first time or just refreshing your memory, to get reacquainted with Pablo, his background, and the early ideas for Alcalde before you experience the food for yourself in the not-too-distant future. Uh, so just a quick note before we do all this, because normally we'll end interviews with people giving their shameless plugs. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, on Pablo's behalf, shamelessly plug Alcalde. You can actually find it on Instagram. It's Alcalde underscore Miami. It's A-L-C-A-L-D-E underscore Miami. Alcalde underscore Miami. Uh, so go check that out on Instagram, and I'm sure that'll be a decent way to get updated when there are opportunities to actually eat the food at Alcalde and all the rest of that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and also plug all of our own stuff. You can find past episodes and upcoming episodes at dademag.com slash podcast or search for Pankong podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, and then also... Support what we're doing on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash dademag, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash dademag, D-A-D-E-M-A-G. For as little as a buck a month, you get some exclusive content. And also you just kind of help keep this train moving. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, who knows what can happen in the future and what you'll be a part of. Your uh, If you pledge a certain amount, you might get a mug, you might get your name in the credits on some of our video content. There's all kinds of exciting stuff happening. And of course, you'll also be supporting the non-Bangkong podcast things that we do at DadeMag.com. With that, I'll stop boring you with all of this introductory stuff. Here is Mike Beltran's interview with Pablo Zitzman. <laughs> What's up? Uh huh. I like what's up. What's up? I like croquetas. With the show with croquetas. Que bola. Very good. <laughs> yeah, let's go. It's whatever, dog. It's whatever, dog. It's whatever, dog. All right. Que bola. Que bola. One, two. One, two. Que bola. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode, I think, six, but yeah. don't quote me on that. Maybe. Pretty sure. Uh-huh. Of Pang Gong Podcast. And as Carluba likes to say, Sakao <laughs> Pang. 
I'm Nick Jimenez. I am here with Mike Beltran. Say hello to the people. Hi, everyone. My name is Mike Beltran. Very good. And today, we're here with my good friend, fantastic chef, and one of my favorite food and beverage individuals in the entire South Florida, Pablo Zitzman. Say hello to the people. Hola. ¿Qué pasa, parceros? <laughs> All good? That's good. We're, um... Well, thanks for being on the show. No, thank you for bringing me, Chef. It's awesome. I think it's. Um, I think this is going to be a good time. We're recording on Memorial Day. Yeah. Let's tell the people where we are. We are on the patio of Ariette on a beautiful day, smoking a couple of cigars. Hence the heavy breathing and, and waterfall sound effects we yeah. have going in the background. It's good. I think it's very uh, tranquil. I think it's nice. So, Chef, I want to really dive into a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but before we dive into the lot of things, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what got you here to this table today with us just talking about uh, food and beverage. All right. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty long story. Um, I am second-generation German-Colombian. I've been living in the States for the past 13 years now. Uh, born and raised in Colombia, um, I'm a mix of a lot of cultures. My uh, from my mom's side, my uh, grandma was Mexican. From my dad's side, my dad is German. Uh, my grandpa was German. So definitely, you know, that multicultural thing has been, you know, I've been around that for 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 my whole life. Right. Um, and uh, you know, I I cook. I'm a I'm a I'm a cook. Um, been doing this for the past 14, 15 years now. Um, and I have a really, really deep love for Asian cuisine, especially Japanese. I love everything about Japanese culture. Uh, and I think that that love for Japanese culture started when I was a little kid. My dad used to take me to like really small teppanyaki and sushi restaurants in Colombia. Every time that I had a, a weekend with my dad. And... Um, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. I went to um, advertising and design uh, school in Colombia. And three, and three months after that, um, I was done with it. <laughs> My mom sat me down one day and she's like, hey, I mean, you've been working in a Mexican restaurant every single summer. Why don't you try cooking school? Um, I gave it a try. I loved it. I did that for two years. And then the day after my graduation, I jumped on a plane and I came over here to the States to live with my dad. Wow. Um, you know, like almost 13 years later, here I, here I am. It's interesting what you said that you are a cook. Yeah. I like, that is one of the several things that I love about you, um, is that you say that you are a cook, just like I tell people all the time. I remember there was um, some guy was trolling me on Instagram, and you know how much I love those. And love he, those was friends, like, he was just like, you're an entitled sandwich cook. And I go, well, thank you so much for the compliment. Of calling me a cook. I very much appreciate that. And I think a lot of times... El muchacho de las fritas. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I think uh, that's a good one for a lot of like younger chefs yeah. to really embrace being called a cook because that is... I mean, there's a huge sign of respect there when you call someone a cook. And to be a good cook is huge. I think it's as big if not bigger than saying, you know, I'm a chef or I'm this, I'm that. Yeah. Being a good cook. Um, and I pride myself being able to walk on any line and being able to cook because I am first and foremost a cook. Yeah. So um, 
So now the last 13 years, how long have you been cooking in like the South Florida market? Um, I think that out of the 14 years of experience or so that I have, I think that, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, nine. I, I came here and when I came here, I came with a student visa, so I couldn't work um, in a lot of places. And I met, I met this girl, uh, her name is uh, Leticia de Melo Bueno. She used to work. Uh, I know Letty. Yeah. Yeah, she's married to uh, uh, Prudent, no? I have no idea. I haven't, I haven't spoken with Letty in a minute now, man. She's from Mexico, right? No, she's Brazilian, actually. Oh, no, no. No, Ron, Ron Letty. So she, she, was, she was working for Slow Foods and for, um, for Common Threads. Mm. And uh, in order for me to keep my visa going and everything going before I got, you know, like, you know, residence and all that stuff, I had just to, you know, do anything. So I went to uh, a cooking school in uh, Doral, which was really bad. And that's where I met Leticia. And we kind of head off uh, right away and she started putting me in places. Mm. Um, every time that somebody needed, you know, a hand doing a South Beach food and wine event, I was there. One of the scariest moments of my of, of my career was doing a South Beach Food and Wine Festival with David Voulet. Uh, oh, it was yeah. crazy, uh, so much intensity, and she took me there. Um, and then just like you know, doing small things here and there, she was trying to connect me with a lot of people, and I ended up um, volunteering for Common Threads with uh, Chef uh, Art Smith and uh, Chef Michelle Bernstein. Cool. And uh, it was it was a beautiful thing, man. It was just like. Something that I've never done before, and I think that, you know, giving back is extremely important. For sure. Um, and that also led, you know, some other things happening. So I ended up um, working as a line cook in Senora Martinez. Oh, very cool. Um, you know, and being a guy just fresh off the boat, uh, I didn't know what, you know, what a James Beer War was. I didn't know what any of the amazing things that happened over here and all those recognitions. And I just came in thinking that it was just going to be another regular restaurant and it was not <laughs> no um, really really awesome small kitchen uh, pretty intense and, beautiful uh, restaurant yeah beautiful I restaurant I remember that restaurant vividly I actually spent a birthday there I mean a long time ago yeah um, and it just I, I still have a lot of really good memories about that restaurant and how much I really love the food there no everything everything was amazing from you know from the small plates to you know the rawan sendido pasta she was doing like this beautiful rawan sendido with trophy pasta and Mascarpone cheese. I still, I still remember that, um, and that was pretty much my 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 introduction to you know restaurants here in Miami, um, and then after that I went on the on the Asian route, um, and I think that pretty much everything that I've done, or everyone that I've worked uh, here in the states, uh, it's been mainly Asian. Yeah, um, and you know it's it's great. I think that it's weird to be Colombian and just you know like doing only Asian food, but well. you know um, it also comes with where where I come from. You know, like I was telling you before, you know I used to eat a lot of Asian food when I was a little kid. So besides the Colombian food and you know the things that we were eating at home, um, that was something that you know I was really comfortable eating. Interesting. Yeah. I you know. We should give a big shout out to Michelle Bernstein for yeah. being like one of the OGs no, in she's, she's South amazing. Florida and really like changing the yeah. game out here. I didn't know that you worked there. It's like, yeah. I really loved that restaurant a lot. No, that restaurant was... And it's, was, it's interesting that you did stuff with Common Threads because I just met Art Smith. They did, um, I did a thing here with Danny Surfer and I saw Bernstein yeah. and Art Smith. It was like their um, 
happy hour they did, like their annual, uh-huh. like an every year anniversary, and they did it here. It was very cool, very cool experience. And um, I think there's a lot to be said about giving back 100%. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about that influence to like Japanese food influence in Colombia because I'm not super familiar with that at all. I mean, there's there's a there's a big Asia. There, there was a big migration uh, of Japanese uh, people to to Bogota, where I'm from, probably like 25, 30, 30 years ago, uh-huh. and there was a lot of small restaurants popping up everywhere. Uh, and my dad was an artist; he was a photographer, so he was always taking pictures of restaurants, and he was doing you know a lot of works for small restaurants. And every time that he you know met a chef, or, or every time that he had a really you know cool little spot that he wanted to show me. Um, I mean, he used to take me over there. I was eight, nine, ten years old, and I was, you know, eating sushi and just like that's crazy eating eating weird shit. And I remember I, I used to get picked on school uh, because I used to bring like little bags of dried shrimp and dried fish <laughs> and st- stuff like that on my lunchbox. Uh, but I was really into it since I was a little kid, you know. And um, you know, my dad being the artist that he was, and just like really into you know film and photography and painting and stuff um he exposed me to a lot of those things right um so i think that right there i kind of grew up with that affinity of liking asian culture and Mm -hmm. just everything in general was so mystical and so like different for me you know um because on my dad on my mom's side you know my abuelos they used to live in the countryside they had a beautiful house over there and it was a completely different contrast yeah um so it was pretty pretty interesting to be exposed uh, to that when I was a little kid. What do you think? Do you remember like a... That's going to happen a lot today. Oh, yeah. Do you remember like a moment from when you were a kid that you said like this, this food is like super impactful to me? Like was there a meal or a moment or maybe like a dish that you recall being very significant even to you today? And yeah, and it's not it's not it's not Asian at all. Uh, it's uh, it's um, my dad used to do like every now and then he used to do a lot of dinners at, at his place, and he did this crazy thing one day. He did a mango ceviche. Oh, uh, he's a hell of a cook, dude. Really? And uh, we have in Colombia, in the coast of Colombia, we have this small um, little shrimp called uh, chippy chippy, just like a really really small. Uh, almost muscle-like thing, and he did arroz con chippy chippy and ceviche de mango, and I still remember that day, man. And that was to me like I was sitting on his house. He had a beautiful big house over there, and I was eating that, and I was like, man, my dad should open a restaurant in this house. <laughs> and I everything just started playing on my head. How would the restaurant be, and you know what kind of food we will be serving? And he was just like, I was just dreaming about that when I was uh, when I was having that. That was a really like. Heavy turning point for me. That's amazing. Arroz con chipichipi has got to be like an instant top five dish name for me. I just, I like, yeah. I want to eat that now just based yeah. off of the name. Yeah, arroz con chipichipi. Delicious. So now that we've, we've talked a little bit about where you come from, tell me what you have planned now. Because we just had a long conversation on the phone a couple of days ago. Yeah. And you are planning something new. Yeah. Um. Well, until... Until a few weeks ago, um, I was operating and uh, running a Chinese restaurant in South Miami. Which was a uh, great and one of my favorite restaurants. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear, especially from you. And um, one of the things that I've been I've been playing around the idea of a Colombian restaurant for for a minute now. That's that's an idea that um, it's been it's been in my head for a minute. Um, and everything actually started, you know, getting to know you a little bit more and getting to know Nando and Valerie from Itamae and just like seeing everyone uh, here in Miami kind of going back to the roots. Right. You know, because I mean, you're, 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 you're American Cuban, correct? Yeah. Uh, born in Hialeah. Born in Hialeah. I am Colombian, 100% Colombian, right. but I've been doing, you know, something completely out of, you know, the things that, you know, I grew up with. And then seeing, you know, Valerie and Nando doing their Nikkei and, you know, the heavy Peruvian food. And um, so, so sorry to cut you off, but yeah. that's Val and Nando Chang from Itamai, uh, that they're actually opening up the B side now. Yeah. They, they're incredibly talented and incredible people. They work with their uh, pops, Papa Chang. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want some stellar food in South Florida, visit Itamai for sure. Yeah, I think I think that that's every time every time that I go over there, I leave inspired, man. Yeah, you know, it's like these guys do the most simple, crazy shit, but it's so smart and so fresh and so delicious that soulful. Is yeah, right. it's it's crazy, yeah. you know. So. I saw that and, you know, some other people just doing the things that they grew up with. And I was like, hey, I'm Colombian. And, you know, I mean, no offense to anybody, but, you know, the state of Colombian food here in Miami, it's not it's not what the other cuisines are getting to. Tell me tell me what you mean by that. I don't know, man. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, lots of Colombian restaurants just do general Colombian food. And usually, I mean, we're, we're, we're known for junk food, right? The hot dogs with, you know, pineapple sauce oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. crushed papitas and quail eggs and salsa rosada. I mean, it's, it's, it's delicious. But Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. Absolutely not. But there's there's more than that. There's of more course. than, you know, the, we use a lot of, you know, potatoes. We use a lot of different starches, cassava, uh, you know, things like that that you do not find on a restaurant, uh, on a Colombian restaurant, but you find on a Colombian household. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know, man. I think that... There hasn't been a Colombian food revolution over here, you know, or 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 maybe the people that are exposed to Colombian food are just exposed to those to those things. Well, I, I if I may, yeah. I think that and it, a lot of it has to is in the world of Cuban food as well. So like Cuban food, people always boil it down to, you know, arroz frijoles, maduros. And it's always, you know, I'd say eight times out of ten, like poorly executed. Right. Because it's yeah. like feeding to the masses and it's really it's catering to someone that wants to pay a certain price for food. And I don't know if there's enough people that have, have like their heartstrings attached to it, Yeah, you know? And I, I would say the same thing for yourself and Colombian food, yeah. you know, like Colombian food for a lot of people could be, you know, they're just trying to appeal to the masses to try to yeah. you know, make money and try to fill, you know, put butts in the seats. But are they really trying to say a story? Are they trying to, tell you about their experience yeah, and like for me being you know american cuban yeah um i want to help i want to tell a story with my food a little bit more than just you know than just you know cook what people think is regular cuban food you yeah, know yeah and i think and i think that people people think uh that you know colombian food is that i mean and there's nothing wrong with it because it's delicious but that uh really you know, fast and cheap kind of food. Um, 
And I don't think that somebody will sit down in a, at a nice restaurant with a beautiful story and, you know, a cook behind the restaurant trying to tell his own story sure. of his own Colombian food. And they're not going to want to spend a good, pay a good price well, no, I mean, for that, right? It, it's proven. I mean, there's people out there like Pujol. You know, I mean, they're, they're yeah. telling a story about Mexico that was never, you know, told before. Alex Atala, too. He's telling a story that Brazil was never told yeah. about Brazil before. And everyone, he says it very openly in his chef's table. Like, you know, people expected a certain thing from my type of cuisine, but yeah. I wanted to change that. And I think for people like yourself and yeah. myself, we want to tell a story that people, you know, maybe they're not totally comfortable with. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, like, I don't... I, I, I'm okay with making people a little uncomfortable, you know? It's good, because at the end of the day, you know, it kind of forces them to think a little bit of outside of the box and really get to know the story of not only the Colombian or the Brazilian or the Mexican or the Cuban food, but actually the story of the person that's behind their Sure. You know, and uh, to me, when this whole thing about this pop-up uh, came to mind, um, I started to do a lot of soul searching and I started to do a lot of... Uh, who am I as not only as a cook but as a person, as a you know, as a husband, as a as a as a father of two beautiful children, and what is the kind of message that I want to you know give to people with with my food? Um, and then one of the biggest one of the biggest things for me was, and one of the most important things is trying to find the right name. And uh, I I used to uh, ride horses when I was a little kid in La Finca. And there was this beautiful white big horse um, that his name was Alcalde. Uh, that means major in uh, in Spanish. And I was like, "That's it, Alcalde." I, I remember you telling yeah. me that story, and it like it stuck with me for a while. And mm -hmm. I thought about it a lot after we we spoke, and just how to me, and obviously I know you, but even just hearing that story, I want to I want to eat your food yeah. more now. You know, like. The connection to a person's persona uh, and their story through yeah. food is it, it, like it's so much more there. It pulls at my heartstrings and yeah. I'm going to say that a lot. And something that we spoke about before we started is like communi communicating culture through food. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with your story, with your culture and your connection with your culture. Yeah. So I remember when and you uh, posted something about it on your Instagram made me even more excited yeah. because... I've eaten your food several times, and I love your food, but I'm even more excited now because I want to learn more about Pablo mm -hmm. and your story and kind of like the things that, that kind of make you tick. Yeah. You know, I think that's something that you really get to see. And someone like, on a scale of like Miami, mm -hmm. uh, someone like Neven. Yeah. You know, Neven, someone, Neven Patel of Guy uh, in Dade Lane and the My Design District. My all-time favorite restaurant. Uh, and I mean, he's, he's really... He changed the kind of conversation about Indian food 100%. And that's only because he wanted to say his story yep. and his, his relationship with food. Yep. And that's why I think, on top of the food being incredible uh, and him being an incredible human being and yeah. his family being so yeah, involved. They're amazing. It's just, you know, it attracted people so much more. Because it's not just, you know, chicken tikka masala. Yeah. You know, it's more. Yeah. And I think now on when you look at Miami as a as a as a landscape uh -huh. culinarily uh, and as a community, now we have more people doing that. Yeah. And that's why 
we're not just Miami and we just don't have mojitos. You know, no, like it's, it's it's great. It's like, okay, what what are Miami's best restaurants? People ask, and you know, a, a lot of people might say you know different things, but at the end of the day, you 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 open up the conversation to say, hey, you know, one of Miami's best restaurants is a it's an Indian restaurant, yeah, run by you know Chef Niven and Shivani, and you walk into the restaurant and you see Shivani's dad and you see yeah. the whole family, and the other day my kid we were having dinner over there and my kid was sleeping on a chair that belonged to Niven's great, great grandfather or something like right. that, you know? And it's like, that is to me, I mean, and, and, and I've been living over here only 13 years, but to me that it's, that speaks about what Miami is, yeah. you know, and having those kind of people kind of like opening the conversation, you know, uh, chef Niven with Guy, uh, you with trucks, which is amazing. Um, again, the guys from Itamai, and more restaurants kind of made me think like, okay, I think that there's room for a really good Colombian restaurant that tells a story of, you know, Pablo Zitzman and, you know, my wife, I mean, my wife, she's from Chile, but her mom is Colombian. Right. And they used to have an arepa factory in Chile. Oh. You know, so yes, we're going to have, you know, amazing arepas and things like that. So that's got, exciting. You know, just that. And, and when, when I started typing and I was texting you and I posted that on, on, on Instagram, I, I, felt, I felt something in my stomach and I just felt like this really weird excitement of, okay, I got to make this happen now. Yeah. And, and something, uh, I haven't had something that exciting happening in my life in, in a long time, career-wise. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's in the works right now. What I'm doing is I'm just like, writing down as much as I can, sure. uh, cooking as much as I can, um, testing things out, asking questions, asking myself a lot of questions, and just like planning um, what's going to be the next step for, for, for Alcalde. Yeah. That is going to be something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to really dive into and, and uh, just create something that's really special for us. No apologies, you know, my food, my Colombian food, what I, what I grew up with. My music, my, you know. Unapologetic. Unapologetic. I, I, I think it, um, that's a good way to put it because we, as culinary professionals, we have a responsibility to, you know, cater to our guests, yeah. right? Um, but there's a certain part of that, too, that we need to be honest to ourselves. And the reason why I say that is the more honest you are with your own kind of journey yeah the better you will be to your guests and for their experience because yeah. it's more it's more like you're more connected to it yeah and um you i think the world of, of food there's several different layers of it yeah and there's like you know there's the there's the chain restaurants that cater to the masses there's fast food there's chef driven there's Upskill casual, there's casual, there's so many different types. Mm -hmm. But really when you put a name behind a restaurant, you say that this is going to be my story. Yeah. You know, we have a responsibility to our guests to really, to tell them that story. Yeah. And, and to not just be like, well, you know, yeah, we don't have French fries. Yep. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, we don't have ketchup. Sorry. Right. You know? Like, you know, yeah. like, at, like at Chugs, we, we don't have French fries, you know, and, and. People yeah, but when you have those papitas, you don't need French fries, man. <laughs> right. That's also true. But, you know, plenty of people ask for French fries, and I'm like, you yeah. know, we don't have French fries. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things. And 
I don't know, and I feel like that matters so much to your mission. And I think if you stand by your mission and your journey and yeah. what you envision more, then I think people will react to it better. Yeah, and and I, and, I, and I think that one of the things that made No Name Chinese so special, it was the fact that we were trying to do the same thing, you know? Uh, I mean, I didn't grow up eating Chinese food. I have no Chinese heritage whatsoever. Um, I had experience with, you know, working in those kind of restaurants. And I had the blessing to, you know, working and traveling throughout China. But when it came to open No Name Chinese, I wanted to respect the technique and I wanted to respect the heritage and, 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 and the meaning of everything. Um, so I didn't want it to do just like, oh, another Chinese restaurant that is just, I hate that word, but like fusioning things and just mixing things up. I was doing non-traditional food, but respecting everything as much as I could. Because um, at the end of the day, uh, I think that No Name Chinese opened the conversation to myself that if I was able to respect that and stand behind it and feel it like it's my own, because at the end of the day, it was my brainchild. Um, there's no reason why I cannot do that with my own culture. Of course. I, I want to talk a little bit about, because um, you mentioned no name. And yep. I ate there several times over the last few months. And uh, a topic that we've talked about a little bit is leadership. Yeah. And I am an early eater. I like to eat at restaurants early. So I always happen to get there when you were in the middle of pre-shift. Yeah. Uh, so I think I was there for three pre-shifts. Yeah, I think so. And um, I was lucky enough to be able to just sit and be a fly on the wall. And mm -hmm. um, Talking about leadership. And the one thing I did notice the most was from the front of the house, back of the house, to the entire team mm -hmm. respected you like no other. And, you know, when we were just becoming friends, yeah. um, it... I wanted to know more about you because that that was something that I respected a lot. Mm -hmm. Because being a leader in the restaurant world or in any kind of profession is huge. Mm -hmm. um, because you have to know how to manage your staff and how to nurture your talent the best. And, yeah. um, you know, sadly, no name is no longer. And I felt very fortunate to be there for the last pre-shift of no name. Um, yeah, that was hard. Cool. And it was, and I was very, emo I'm a very emotional guy. Anyone who knows me knows that yeah, I'm very passionate and emotional about a lot of stuff. But I got, I got emotional for everyone there. And it was because you as a leader, I felt how much you cared. Yeah. And I felt how much they cared. So I just, your thoughts on leadership, yeah. you know, if you could talk about them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't have I don't have the story of you know um, I mean I, I worked I worked around great people but I, I I don't have the story about somebody mentoring me um, you know I think that I was actually thinking about that today and it's like I had I had I learned a lot of things from a lot of people just by seeing really bad people doing really bad shit. Yo, you know, man, that is such uh, a great fucking point. You know, and uh, I, I, I like to call it like the anti-mentor. Like I was just seeing things that, like, why is this guy even doing this? Right. Or, 
how is this guy getting away with talking to people like that? Right. Or, you know, like, why is this guy never around? Or, you know, things that we see in the restaurant industry in general. So I, I, I really never had somebody sitting down and actually telling me, like, hey, this is the way that you got to do shit. Um, I actually looked uh, at a lot of things and learned from seeing people around me fucking shit up. And just basically, I didn't want it to be that person, you know? Um, and I think that I started realizing that and I started seeing that when I, when I opened up the Edition Hotel for John George's, um, beautiful property, and I had a team of 70 people under me. And it was a really... How many now? 70. Seven zero? Yeah. Fuck. More or less, you know? And we were, basically, I was the guy in charge of the production of the whole hotel, you know? So my kitchen was a commissary kitchen doing everything for the other restaurants, it was really stressful. Um, and I had so many different personalities around me, man, and ages and cultures. I had Haitian women, Jamaican women, you know, really awesome Indian dudes, Colombians. We had J1s. There were, uh, you know, students that came in with a J1 visa, Filipinos, Argentinians, and Spaniards. And I just learned everything from everybody, man. Right. And uh, one of the things that I really learned how uh, was to listen to people and uh, opening the doors to people and... You know, the, the image of, and I mean, I'm talking this because I, I, am, I am in the industry and the role of the chef, sometimes people are afraid of the chef. And if somebody breaks a sauce or, you know, burns a chicken or, you know, forgets how to prep something, they, they, they're afraid of being yelled at. So when people are afraid, they make mistakes and they hide them. Right. And you close the doors to a lot of things. Um, so, you know, kind of like... Learning and, 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 and learning how to let people trust you and open your doors too. And, you know, like accepting that you're human and you make mistakes too. And just like being a good human being, man. Don't be a dick. That's, that's the only thing. Yeah. You know, I think that that is, that was to me the big change. And I think that that kind of planted the seed for what we were going to be doing at No Name Chinese without me even knowing it. Because 50% of the staff that I had that I have had a no-name Chinese, uh, they came from that hotel. Wow. Uh, they came with me. Uh, and they stayed in the restaurant from the moment that I opened the doors until the moment that I closed. Um, Which says a lot about you, huh? Thank you. So it was more like we're a team and this is not Pablo's project. This is all of our project and everyone cares about the house the same way that I do. But it comes with a greater responsibility that... Having that trust from every single person in the room, um, you just need to be at your 100% at all times. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things I, I always like to remind people. One, that a kitchen, a good kitchen, is a family. Completely. A good restaurant Completely. is a family. Yep. And, um, you know, I definitely fall victim to the fact of, and it's a quote I've used a couple of times already, is to you know, be a shepherd and not a Viking. Yeah. And I'm definitely victim of being a Viking sometimes because I'm just so over the top intense. But it's how do you nurture talent? That's important. How do you nurture people? Yeah. And the other thing that I always tell people. Number dos. Is, you know, um, when they say, you know, when they reference things as my restaurant, I tell them it's our restaurant. Yeah. This is our restaurant. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Us together are going to make this special. Yeah. Because I cannot do this on my own, and nor would I ever claim to do or want to do it on my own. Yeah. It's irresponsible of me to say, I can do this shit on my own. And, you know, for me, I'm fortunate enough that I've had two people with me along for this ride for the last three and a half years, and Geo Fesser and Matt Hawkins, mm-hmm. that are like the backbones yep. of Ariette and now the backbones of the Arc Hospitality Group as a whole. But is to put aside your own ego yeah. and say like, you know, this isn't just my show. No. It's our show. This is us doing this together. Now, truth be told, not everyone buys into that, you know, and, and part of being a good leader is to weed out the bad apples. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and there's there's I I I agree with you in the in, in the weeding out the bad apples, but at the same time it's like you know, every single person that's going to walk through the door and they're going to, they, they, they want something in return, right? It's like every single employee comes in, they, 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 they want something besides just a paycheck. They're trying to get something out of, out of, out of you. If it's learning how to do the most delicious frita or croqueta or, you know, learning how to do a really awesome dumpling, it's just collecting a paycheck, you right. know? Uh, but for me, it was just like learning how to work with every single individual's, um, you know, uh, qualities, uh, getting to know them to see where they're going to su- succeed at. And to me, my growth as a cook and my growth as a parent and, uh, and as, a, as a business uh, operator, I guess, it's developing people, you know? Hell yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, just developing people. Uh, that to me, it's more important because at the end of the day, if you start developing people and you start helping them out and you start showing them the things that they're looking for, uh, your team is going to go stronger. Uh, your food is going to be more tasty, uh, and you're going to have a little bit more freedom to branch out and keep evolving yourself. You know, um, and I and I and I kind of struggle with that because I'm a workaholic. Um, I was the one, you know, opening and closing the restaurant. I was the one wanting to work the line every day and prep every single thing and just break down every single fish until I realized that I was burning myself out. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it was a really dark place for me. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that the last six months of, an, of the restaurant and No Name Chinese, personally for me, it was a really, really, really low point. Yeah. Because I had a lot of struggles within myself of you know, kind of finding my own voice. Sure. And I was giving my 100% to everybody, but I was not giving anything to myself. Oh, yeah. And I just got caught up in that, you know, tornado of busy restaurant and events and things happening and a baby happened and, you know, life happens. And it's just like I was not being able to kind of find a north. Mm. Um, And one of the biggest things for us was... um, my sous chef, my right hand, Paola, um, her mom uh, passed away, um, and that put a really, really big toll into everybody. And when she left the restaurant because she needed to to uh, go and take care of her family business, um, it really hurt everybody, man. Sure, it was a really, really tough place, and we got out of it. 
And right when we were getting out of it and right when we were getting back on our feet, um, we had to close down the restaurants. But the most beautiful thing for me and everything, uh, the most positive thing that I got, uh, that I, that I got out of uh, the restaurant was whenever I was having one-on-one conversations with every employee, I just didn't want it to say, hey guys, we're closing down the restaurant, thank you. Uh, whenever I was talking with every single team member, um, they were like, chef, we're here until the last, the last minute, man. Um, you and the restaurant and everyone around has helped us so much that we want to give you guys back. So the last service um, was a really weird service. Lots of emotions. But I took a time between tears and between emotions and between anxiety to smell the roses. You know? Right. And appreciate and see the beautiful things that all of us we created around that restaurant, and seeing you and your and your fiance sitting down and enjoying the food, and then seeing Chef Nevin over there, and then seeing everyone in Miami coming to us one last time. Um, it was really rough, but it was extremely beautiful, and every single employee noticed that, and every single person left with a big smile on their face. And to me, that was that meant that's still to this day. The love that we received was just unmeasurable. Yeah, it was, um, like I said, for even for me, very emotional. One, because I care about you and your staff. And just, you know, the, the entirety of the community here yeah. really is growing to a place that... I remember when I was a younger cook and people were like, you know, Miami has no community. Mm. There's no food community there's no this there's no that mm -hmm. well really what that falls on is people making it a community and something that the people around here have done is to make it a community and to care about each other like people ask me where to go to eat i mean yeah i'll mention ariette and chugs but i'll mention you know i mentioned no name and i would mention Guy, and i would mention stanzione and i would mention you know, Itamai. Yeah. I would mention all these places that are just right now what I think so important to like the foundation of our community. And you saw it yeah. on the last day of No Name, which was it's not bullshit. No, it's not no. just people talking shit. No. It's real. No, I and and I and I get I get choked up about that. Um, you know, because still, still like until today, you know, I kind of think about it, about that, and I get extremely emotional. It was when I had to do the post the day that we were closing and that morning. The amount the amount of phone calls and the amount of text messages and you know, like, you know, emails and stuff that everyone was being so supportive and so uh, amazing. It was just like, you know, incredible. But kinda of going back to what you were saying about the community, um, I remember years ago. Uh, I need to take a time out real quick. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> just trying to get my, my brain back into the conversation. So I guess we're just kind of like um, recapping, you know, the community aspect of yep. of Miami and like really talking about how the the culinary community or the food and beverage community of Miami has really started to, I think, to take shape. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, a younger generation taking the lead that was put together by people like yeah. Michelle Bernstein and Norman Van Akins and Alan Susers and Douglas Rodriguez's 
and you know to another extent to the Michael Schwartz's by the way I had Douglas Rodriguez uh, Cuban sandwich yesterday at Doc Doc Goose holy shit was that the one that's like wrapped no or? it was just like a small bite oh my god but was it wrapped in like a phyllo dough no oh cause he does one like that it's like a Cuban sandwich like on a stick uh huh no 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 that he does in like almost like a terrine mold and then he presses and then he cuts them into, and then he wraps them in phyllo and fries it was them. like that but it was not wrapped ah it's delicious. delicious. Delicious, yeah. Yeah. The guy's a G. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. He's like one of the OGs. Him and Norman and uh, Michelle and Cindy from uh, Ortonique. And mm-hmm. they really like paved the way to, for us and really set the groundwork for us to say, hey, here's this community and let's continue to bring it up. Yeah. And I, I remember, I remember, I mean, I, I, I added you on Facebook, I don't know how many years ago. <laughs> and... You, you, I mean, without, you without even knowing, you started to open, open up a lot of conversations and you were saying a lot of things that a lot of us, we thought about, but we didn't, you know, wanted to say them. And sometimes I was reading the stuff that you were writing on Facebook and I was like, holy shit, I mean, this guy is, you know, like he's, he's saying the truth, but it's like, damn, you know, and, you know, I want to, you know, give you props because you were one of the first ones after that wave of the OGs to kind of like say, hey, you know, we're here and we, we want to be heard and we want to do the things that we want to do. And this is, you know, this is the new Miami, just like Andy, Andy's doing right now. So, Andy you know, as, as I'm just going to jump in a second, as a food industry outsider here, what are some examples of the sort of thing that you're talking about? And what is it that you think stops other people? From saying the things that Mike was saying, I, if I, I mean, he was just you know talking general thing about you know the restaurant life and 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 you know the the customers and just like in general like kitchen life, but the way that he was saying it, he was just like so raw and so direct and so like straight to the point that he was just like you know awesome to 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 read and to hear the things that Michael was saying um, because some of us we were thinking those things. Um, but we didn't have either the means or, you know, the necessary guts to say those things, I guess. Um, but yeah, you know, thank you for that, man. Cause it's that, that without knowing has helped a lot of people in the city to kind of find their own voice. I appreciate that. You know? And it's humbling that people actually listen to my tirades. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if it's that people were or are, fearful of saying things because it's kind of like what we mentioned earlier about staff being scared to fuck something up i think to an extent people are worried about um causing a riptide absolutely because because of being accepted yeah and being from miami born and raised i don't if if you don't accept me or my thoughts for what I am then I don't I don't really necessarily want to be your friend or I don't necessarily like I I will give you the opportunity to let's sit down and discuss things because I'm always open to a discussion and saying hey tell me why it is you think that you know tell me why you think that X city is better than we are because I don't I don't think so I think every city is important and special in their own way and I think right now like we've said a couple times we have an opportunity to 
continue to write our story and to be a part of that. And, you know, the Changs, uh, yourself, uh, Neven, um, you know, there, there's so many people. And behind, behind, like, the restaurants, there's also a renaissance of the artists and the photographers and, the, you know, the graffiti artists. And, the, you know, you see so many people, like, collaborating with restaurants and doing a lot of things around, around the F&B industry that they're not necessarily F&B related, but everything is kind of tying together. And I'm seeing, I mean, for, for the first time since I've lived in the city, uh, how much, you know, the younger people are actually taking means on their hands and making shit happen. Right. It's, it's great. You know, it's, it's amazing to see those things. It, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive because the identity grows more every day. Yeah. The identity of the city grows more every day. And I think a lot of it has to do with one simple fact. As technology grows, what we lose the most is the conversation between people. Yeah. And one of the last real places to have that conversation between people is at the dinner table. That's, that's 100%. And we help with that. Yeah. The, the chef, the cook, the hospitality um, professional, the us as an institution are helping with keeping that alive, yeah. which is just sitting down and talking to someone and spending time with someone you care about. Now, mm -hmm. that's not the only time you could do that, but it is one of the last true steps that we have in everyday life yeah. that is real and it's raw and it's realistic. Like cooking dinner for someone you care about means so much and we do it for hundreds of people on a daily basis and i think you know that's why uh the identity as a city grows more yeah. because people say it all the time chicago new york la all those places they've all been around a lot longer than we have yeah absolutely. miami is a super young city and we're still very young so it's a very exciting time And thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. I do think that I had uh, the opportunity to work alongside people that encouraged me to, you know, have my own voice. You have to speak up, man. You know, and, and yeah. to also my business partners, because uh, I could not open businesses on my own. My business partners were very supportive in like, You know, we want you to be you and who you are. And that's good because I would never want it any other way. And I couldn't operate any other any other climate because having a voice is what made Anthony Bourdain so special. Yeah, man. Uh, apart from him being um, very eloquent in the way that he spoke and very intellectual and very, like, just cult, like cultural. Yeah. I mean... Bourdain ate and respected cultures from around the world. No, the, the impact that Bourdain had and, was, in yeah, the world. Huge. Yeah, it's yeah, huge. It's... But that's what made him so special. Yeah. He wasn't scared to tell you what the fuck he thought. No. And it's the same thing with like Dave McMillan. Like he doesn't give a fuck. David Chang. You know, these are these are juggernauts on yeah. a worldwide perspective. Yeah. Um, but that's what made them so special. You know, that they weren't scared to voice their own opinion you know and whether you like it or not
people are listening. Yep. And you could disagree, and people could disagree with us. I don't care. Disagree, but that's okay. It's healthy to disagree. Yeah, respectfully disagree. Right. It, it's, it's extremely important. And opening conversations and saying, hey, you know, I again, I respectfully disagree with your point of view, but I want to hear the reasons why you think this way. Right. And uh, I generally want to hear why you think that we should be doing this. Or, I mean, everyone has opened up the conversation uh the influencer thing and in Miami right now that's a really big kind of conversation yeah uh, and without going too much like in depth on that it's like you know there's pros and cons there's people that love them there's people that hate them there's 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 amazing influencers yeah yeah uh, and maybe they don't even know that they're influencing that much but they're they became like a really pivotal part of the the, the growth of, of, of Miami I mean sure. I, You know, Joffrey, jo Joffrey and, and Diane, Miami football. Oh, they're incredible. You know, like, they they play a big role in what's happening in the city right now. Right. And they're head down and they support you. Yep. You know? Um, but then there's other people that they just want to show up to your restaurant and get a free meal. And they don't talk to you. They don't say thank you. They don't come back. They don't tip. Uh, they don't tip. Um, and uh, then when you're rolling out a new menu, they want to go back in because... Hey, it's the new menu. We want to taste it first. We want to be part of it first. Um, and I think that there's going to have to, the, uh, a point is going to come where that needs to stop. Yeah. I, I think the truest statement of them all is that every guest that visits you on a daily it's basis an influencer. is an influencer. Yeah, absolutely. Whether they have 100 followers, 10,000 followers, 1 yeah. million followers, it does not matter. They will influence in their own way someone else yeah. to come or to not come Absolutely. to your restaurant there's a so, statistic that says that something like if somebody has a really good experience at your restaurant they would tell five people if somebody has a really bad ex bad experience at your restaurant they will tell 10 people oh yeah so the impact of those things is it's it's a measurable 100 so i think we'll we'll leave it there pablo thank you so much for your time well thank you guys um Do we want to let's let's plug Pablo things? We want to we want to plug stuff. Yeah, this is the plugging portion of the podcast. Shameless plug, super session. shameless. Hell yeah! Um, when can we hope to see a pop up or something of that nature from you? July. That is incredible. I am excited. Yeah. Where I where should people be to? get notifications like should they follow you personally yeah, is right now right now my instagram uh at six man z-i-x-m-a-n-n -N -N. um right now it's that i'm still in the works of a lot of things i want to make sure that i take my time to do it right and do something that you know it's going to be something special but i think that you know the last week of july i think that we're going to be ready to do that uh i don't know a place yet um but It's happening. Cool. It's definitely happening. I'm excited. Yeah, man. I will be there. Mike, you want to plug yourself? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ariette, seven days a week. Chugs, seven days a week. Lanya, seven days a week. Come visit us. Chugs, you know, we have our first uh, happy hour activation this Thursday with Nightlife Brewing. Um, Johnny's Barbecue. Although by the, oh, time people yeah. hear, by the time people hear this, that'll have happened already. Right. So we're going to be doing activations regularly. Right. Um, happy hour is every day. We uh, just started our collaboration with the Johnny's Barbecue every Sunday at Taurus, which is incredible Maryland-style pit beef. Um, it is incredibly delicious. Um, 
We're also rolling out a new bar program at Ariette, which is going to be exciting. And soon we will be announcing our new uh, corporate pastry chef, which is going to be exciting. Uh, this person is exciting. I am excited for all the exciting things. So much excitement. We will be doing it, and I am I can't contain my excitement. It's a lot. So, do you have any plugs for you, sir? Uh, I'm just going to say that people should go to dademag.com, D-A-D-E-M-A-G, and there's a bunch of those social media icon things in the corner. You can follow us all over the place. Perfect. And check out this podcast and past episodes at dademag.com slash podcast. Right. Where else can you find us? Uh, oh, man. Uh, we're on Instagram, Oof. Facebook, man. Twitter. Uh, I was about to get us on Google+, Plus, but that's dead. Yeah. Uh, really? Careful yeah. where you say that. Huh? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Pankong Podcast on all the things. Uh, and then we're going to be, uh, well, at the time of, that we're recording this, none of it's live, but we're going to be, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and uh, anywhere that we can uh, that we can get it. We're going to be... We're global. Yeah, yeah. We're super, all over the place. Super worldwide. Pankong yeah, Pankong. you can listen to us wherever. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Pablo, thanks again. Oh, thank you guys. This was pretty, pretty awesome. Good. Awesome. Bye, everyone. Damn it. Thank you.